Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord, the, those minutes that we just spent in prayer and worship, Lord, I, I hope and I know they are a blessing to you. I was so blown away and so blessed, Lord. And as Dan prayed, it's not about this. It's not worship. It's not music, singing songs. It's worship through the raising of our voice in song. And Lord, we're here to worship you. That's why we're here. We're here to worship through song and through study and through prayer, through fellowship. We are here to worship you. So Lord, now I ask your blessing on this time. Just take all of this. Take every second of this. You know, this is yours. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time. And thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are uh, going into Galatians today. And I bet you're wondering, maybe, maybe you're wondering, how does Pastor Aaron pick which book we go into? I mean, we did Exodus, and then we did Luke, and then we did I mean, Genesis and Exodus, and we, we're kind of going back and forth. Have you ever been to some Calvary chapels? They just start at the beginning in Genesis, and they just work all the way, all the way through to the end, and that's cool. But, but here, we just do it a little bit different. And so maybe you're wondering, like, how, well, we were just in Acts. Why, didn't, why aren't we doing Romans? Well, the, really, the honest truth is God tells me where to go. God reveals to me which book he wants us to go in while we're still in the other book. And he usually doesn't let me know why we're going into that book until nearly to the end. And it became clear to me why he wants us to go into the book of Galatians next after we just spent a year nearly in Acts. And here's the reason. And you're going to, be, you're going to see how clear it becomes uh, as we start going through this. But this is a, a letter the epistle, it says in, in, in my Bible, the epistle of Paul. You know, in an epistle, that means a letter. An epistle isn't the apostle's wife. I, maybe some of you thought that. This means a letter, and this is actually a corrective letter that Paul writes to the churches in Galatia. Galatians wasn't a city that had a church in it. Galatia was a region that had a handful of churches that we're actually going to look at. But the really cool thing is we've just finished going through Acts, which is for the most part, especially the end part of it, Paul's missionary journeys up and through the area. And actually what we get to see now is that Paul went through these areas and then got home and then got word that something was going awry and he sits down and he writes this letter to him. It feels like we were just in those cities that he's writing to. And it is so cool. Plus, the fact is that Paul is called the Apostle of Grace. And it's much easier to appreciate how much of an impact Grace had on Paul's life once you've walked through and knew who Paul was before, which we did when we walked through Acts. We got to see who Paul was before he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And then we got to see him afterwards. And so we get to see the, the, the impact that grace had and, and why Paul embraces it so much and is so important to him to write this letter to the churches in Galatia and talk about the gospel of grace, the real, true, and only gospel 
of grace. So let me just give you, a, let's throw that map up, guys. Um, new pointer. Okay. I told you it was new. <laughs> okay, for you, for you guys over here, just follow along. All right. This is Paul's first missionary journey. Now, I happen to believe that the, the gospel, uh, the, uh, the book of Galatians was written around 47 or 48 AD. Now, there's some dispute. People think that it was later. I happen to believe that it was right at the end uh, in, at the end of his first missionary journey before he actually left on his second missionary journey. We're going to talk about why I believe that. But you can kind of see right here, we're just going to leave this map up today. Um, but you can see like their first missionary journey went up here and went here. Oh, down here. Yeah. No, this isn't the first. <laughs> I have looked at the map occasionally in between. Oh, all right. It's a... Mm, we're getting closer. That's definitely what we're studying. Um, this morning we were sharing in the, Jeff ironically was sharing in the uh, devotional this morning that we're all flawed. We're all flawed. And, uh, and here we go. All right. Well, I'm just going to talk for a few minutes anyway. So what, we, what we're going to see is in the first missionary journey, Paul ends up going uh, north of Antioch, Syria, um, around the island. He goes, then remember they landed in Cyprus and then they went from Cyprus over into, and I can't remember the names of the cities here. He goes into Pamphylia right here in Perga. They land in Perga. All right. Now remember we talked about this in Acts when he was in Perga, he most likely developed some kind of a sickness, maybe malaria, for example. And so what he did was he headed up to the mountains to Antioch Pisidia right there because the higher elevation was good for recovery. But little did he know that, and he'll say later, I didn't come uh, because I was sick, but I came uh, because God wanted me through my sickness to be able to minister to you. And so we see right here, he comes up into here, Antioch, Pisidia, and he gets there. If you remember, he uh, goes, uh, okay. All right, he gets to Antioch, Pisidia, and he preaches the gospel there, he and Barnabas, remember? Then he heads down into Iconium. And if you remember, when he gets to Iconium, these are all the churches, by the way. You can see this area right here says Galatia. This is the region, the region of Galatia, and these are the churches that he's going to end up writing to, I believe. He gets to Iconium, and they, he goes to the synagogue, and he sits down for the, the service. And at the end, they say, Paul, do you have anything you want to share <laughs> And of course, as Paul was like, oh, you know, maybe a couple of things. And so he stands up and he literally breaks down the entire plan of God, all the way from the Old Testament, which they would all be familiar with, all the way up to God saying, and he sent Jesus, the one who was going to forgive your sins, right? And uh, in Iconium, they were so, everyone, I mean, there were, there were Jews there, there were, there were um, Gentiles there. It says after the service was done, the Gentiles came up and it says they begged him to come and share again next Sabbath. And it also said that the Jews walked out and they were all talking to themselves and they were thinking about what Paul had said. He just showed them the way to Jesus through the Old Testament. Because remember, 
There was no New Testament at this time. Paul wasn't teaching out of the New Testament. He's living and writing the New Testament as he was going along. So Paul says, it actually says that he proved Jesus. You know that, remember that word? In Greek, it means that he joined together. That's the Greek word. That means that he took all of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah and everything that they knew about him and joined them all together to point to Jesus and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Boy, the Gentiles were so thrilled to hear that that they begged him to come back the next Sunday. And so, I mean, next Saturday. And so he did, and you know what happened? Remember, the almost entire city turned out. Well, it says that when all the Jews saw that, you know, they were all uh, jealous. It says they were jealous. Uh, And they they fought back and forth, and finally there was a, a plot discovered that they were going to try and kill Paul. And so they left and they went to the next city on the list, which is Lystra. This is the next church in Galatia. They went to uh, Lystra, right? And remember, as they're walking into town and Paul was preaching, um, there was a man there who uh, had never walked from from his mother's womb. He said he was crippled from the time he was born. And Paul healed him. And everybody in the city loses their minds. They're like, oh my goodness, it's Hermes and Zeus. And they've come to the city and everyone's celebrating and they're throwing flowers and wreaths and and they bring out their cow because they're going to sacrifice their cow to Paul. And Paul and and Barnabas, they don't know what's going on because they don't speak this language. And they look over and they go, oh, this is so great. Look, they're even bringing out their pet cow. And as soon as they realize that these people are about to sacrifice this cow to Paul and her to Paul and Barnabas because they think that they're gods. They're just like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. And they actually start preaching the gospel to these folks too. And they receive it. Many of them receive it. Except these Jews from Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium come down to Lystra and they stir up the people. It says they poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas, and they end up stoning Paul, thinking that they've killed him, and they drag him out of the city. I remember it says the disciples came around Paul, and they're looking at Paul like, oh man, now what do we do? Paul's dead. And Paul goes, whoop, jumps up, goes right back in to the city. He goes right back in. You can't stop a guy like that. But he stays there for one day, and then they go down to Derby, and it says they preached in Derby, and it says many of the Jews and the Gentiles believed. And he turns right back around, and he goes right back through all, see on the map, he goes right back through all of the cities that he had just been run out of to encourage the believers that he had just left, these little churches that had started with these people that he had just preached the gospel to of Jesus Christ, and they believed and he goes all the way back around. And then it says that they uh, sailed all the way back to Antioch, where they had been sent out from. This is all in Acts 13 and 14. If you remember, great. If you don't remember, go back and check that. Go ahead and check my facts, if you'd like. Acts 13 and 14. And then at the end of 14, it says that they stayed there for a long time. Now, it's in this long time that they're back in Antioch, Syria, where they left from, that I believe that there was word that reached Paul, either by a messenger or by a letter, about the trouble that was happening in these churches that he had just left. He had just spent months and months preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation and forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ alone, 
he had just returned. He was joyful. He shared everything with all the apostles there, and everyone was, you know, happy that the Holy Spirit was reaching the Gentiles as well after Paul had shared that. Uh, and so they're there a long time, and all of a sudden, Paul gets word from somebody from those churches in Galatia that Judaizers had come in to these churches and begun to poison the mind of those who were in those churches. And and what he'll say is preaching you another gospel, but not another gospel. We're going to talk about that today. And I think, and we could see Paul's response was like, I think he's heartbroken. He's frustrated. He's discouraged. And so he writes this corrective letter to the churches in Galatia that's going to be sent there. Now, um, the reason I think that this happened now at this point is because right after this, some other Judaizers rise up in this area and they come and they say, you know what, it's great that, uh, that the, you know, these Gentiles, they've accepted Jesus, but you know, if they really want to be Christians, they have to be Jewish. That's ironic, isn't it? And that's where we have the Jerusalem Council happen in Acts 15. And they actually say all the same things. Now they get together and they kind of debate it back and forth. And thankfully, Peter stands up among the council and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I'm a witness to this. Like, I, I, was, I always thought the same thing as you did. I always thought that this was just for the Jews, but I had a vision. And, and God himself said, do not say something is unclean that I've made clean. And then, you know, he goes to... Uh, Cornelius, Cornelius's house, and Cornelius, who's a Gentile, he's a centurion in the Roman army, he, he had sent, because he had a vision, he had sent for Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter, to come and share with him the gospel, and while Peter's there, um, of course, you know, Peter had spent some time arguing with God, and saying, no, God, no, I, I can't go to the, no, I'm, God, they're Gentiles, <laughs> Maybe you don't remember. They're Gentiles. And, and God three times says, Peter, you need to go. You know, don't, don't withhold what I'm giving you. It's for them as well. And he goes there. And it, it actually, you know what? It's, it's funny to me because while Peter is there and he's talking to Cornelius, he begins to preach. And the Holy Spirit goes, thank you, Peter. And he steps in and he just pours himself right out. But he's not even done talking. Peter just begins to speak. And maybe Peter's thinking, oh, hey, I'm going to, you know, I've got a great message for you guys. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, mine's better. <laughs> and so I'm just going to step in. And, and he pours out, the Holy Spirit pours out on this Gentile family. And so Peter in the Jerusalem council, he is sharing with them and saying, I am a witness to this myself that the same spirit that is on us was poured out on these Gentiles as well. And then Paul stands up and he he tells about all of the things that he saw happen on his journeys as well and how the Holy Spirit was poured out on these Gentiles. And so thankfully, the Jerusalem council just backs them up and says, okay, you know what? They're not, they, don't have to, they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep the dietary law. They don't have to do any of the, the things um, except they need to uh, stay away from things strangled, keep away from blood, and keep away from sexual immorality. And when we were going through this, very briefly, we looked at all of those things really point to the worship of gods other than God. Idols, that's obvious. Sexual immorality is really uh, a worship of your own flesh, your own desire, giving into or saying, I'm going to be the, the, the king of my own body, my own flesh, my own desires. And blood is where life is. Without blood, there's no life. Blood, life belongs to God. God says, the life is mine. So you stay away from those things. It's still, that's still the message, isn't it? He says, you're not supposed to have any other gods before me. And that's not like in order. 
God says, in front of my eyes, wherever I could see, you aren't supposed to have any other gods where I could see. And where can God see? Everywhere. 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 God sees everywhere. So where are we supposed to have any gods? No gods anywhere other than God. So, Paul writes a letter. He writes a letter, a gospel, to explain the gospel of grace, and he sends it to the churches. Now, this was designed to be shared, read aloud in all of these churches that he was just in. And again, when we start to go through this letter, we're going to get there, I promise. You almost can sense and can hear the concern that Paul says. Like at one point he says, if anyone, if me, even an angel appears to you with a gospel that's different, let him be cursed. And then he repeats it. The same thing. He says it two times in a row. It's super serious. Anyway, all right. Let's take a look at this. Paul starts off. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. That's how he starts the letter. Now, you have, to, you have to remember, letters were written on scrolls, right? Now, when we write a letter right now, we'll, we'll say, Dear John. And then we write the letter. And at the end, we sign our name. And so when you're holding up a piece of paper, you could say, okay, who wrote me this letter? Oh, it's John. It's, you know, whomever. <laughs> they had a scroll, so if they wanted to know who, who wrote the letter, they had to like unroll the scroll and then see who wrote it. So what they did was they addressed it right at the beginning. Paul. This is from Paul. An apostle, not from men through men, but through Jesus Christ and God our Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul, see, here's what Paul does. He establishes his authority to be able to write this letter to them in the first place. Because one of the main issues that these Judaizers had coming into these churches in Galatia were saying, you don't need to listen to Paul. Who is Paul? He wasn't, he's not really an apostle. He wasn't there with the other guys. I mean, I thought the apostles were picked by Jesus. I thought the apostles spent time with Jesus. Wasn't that kind of the requirement? Remember when they had to place, replace Judas and the apostles got together and they said, okay, we got to replace Judas. We need, we need to have 12 because that makes the teams even. And so we need to go. And so they said, we got to look at uh, you know, a guy that was, was also here and, and with Jesus. And so they pick, what, who'd they pick? Thank you. I had a lot of information up here today, so... I see, I think that was a mistake. I think they were acting kind of out of their flesh when they picked him. They, they cast lots to see who it was. See, I believe that Paul was the apostle, right? And so you might say, well, yeah, but Paul didn't spend time with Jesus. Paul wasn't there. He wasn't picked by Jesus. Really? Does anybody here think that Jesus didn't pick Paul? You remember the story of the road to Damascus? Paul's there. He's got letters in his hands that says, I get to drag off Christians to prison and signed by the high priest. And he was going and a light struck from the sky brighter than the midday sun and knocks Paul to the ground. And Paul says, uh, and the voice says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, what does Paul say? Who are you? Who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And in that moment, in that moment, Paul's entire life flashes in his mind. Every book he'd ever read, and he had read all of them. Every prophecy that had to do with the Messiah, and there are 351 of them. 
every thought that he had ever had, everything that he ever, every word of Stephen's message before the Sanhedrin where Paul was at comes to Paul's mind and it all joins together. And in that moment, Paul is like, I was wrong about Jesus. He's real. Jesus picks Paul. And he's converted in that moment. And Jesus says, now you're mine, Paul. Now you're my apostle. Now what about the spending time with Jesus? I mean, Jesus is dead, right? How could Paul spend time with Jesus? <laughs> Maybe you don't remember, but see, after Paul's conversion and his eyes are opened up and he's in the city of Damascus and he's there and he's contending with the Jews and then they get really mad and they want to kill him. Well, they stick Paul, the disciples that were there, they stick Paul in a basket and they lower him down uh, over the wall. And eventually Paul ends up where? In the, in the Arabian desert. For how long? You remember? Three years. Three years. And Paul will say, it was in those three years that I was taught the gospel, not by man, but by Christ. So that means that for three years, Paul was with Jesus being taught the gospel. You guys remember how long Jesus was walking around with his disciples, Peter and Matthew and those guys? Three years. Three years spending time with Jesus being taught the gospel. Any question that Paul was picked and chosen and an apostle of Jesus Christ? Any question? No. No. But that was the charge laid against him by these Judaizers coming in. You don't need to be under his authority. You know, this sometimes happens where, uh, where um, we get wrapped up on like, well, you know, who gave you your authority? Who gave me my authority? Why am I standing up here? Who gave me the authority to stand up here and pastor this church? Um, you know, some people will say, oh, you're a pastor. What seminary did you go? I didn't go to seminary. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> Ordination is not by man. Ordination is by God. In this church at Calvary Chapel, we lay hands on and, and men are ordained to be pastor, but we're not ordaining them. We're recognizing publicly a call that God has placed on that person's heart. I feel like I'm in good company when someone says, well, by whose authority are you doing this? How many times do we see in the Bible, the disciples were preaching and they were like, well, whose authority? They asked John the Baptist, under whose authority was he preaching? They asked Jesus himself, under whose authority was he? I'm feeling in pretty good company here. If someone says, whose authority are you standing there? By whose authority are you a pastor? I'm like, oh, God. What? God has given me authority to preach the word, but guess what? He's given you all authority to preach the gospel as well. In fact, he's commanded you to do so. I just happen to be standing here in this nice red shirt with a pointer. <laughs> well, Paul addresses this idea because, because they came and they said, he doesn't have any authority. You don't need to listen to Paul. Why are you listening to him? Yeah, oh, that Jesus, that we, hey, we believe in Jesus. It says they did. They were believers in Jesus, but they were coming through and saying, but you know what you, you, what you also have to do is you've got to also, you know, be circumcised and keep the Sabbath and you've got to eat kosher. You've got to do all these other things or else it doesn't really count. It's, that whole grace thing is great, but it's not enough. You've got to add all this other stuff as well. Oh, man, this is going to drive Paul crazy. 
You know, um, the fact is that Paul is the apostle of grace. 120 times he uses the word grace in the letters. That is far more than anybody else who wrote any of the New Testament books. And I get that. I get that because he understands grace, I think, better than most people. Because he looks at his life now as, a, as a, a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, a recipient of the gift of grace himself. And he looks back at his life and he says, man, look at all that I did. I, I caused believers to blaspheme at the point of a sword the name of Jesus Christ. And he still chose me. He still forgave me. He still accepted me me. Man, if anybody understands grace, it's Paul, right? That's why he was so adamant about sharing the gospel of grace. And Paul's going to make this point throughout the entire book is that the minute you add to Jesus, you take away from Jesus. It's subtraction by addition. It's new math. (laughs) Jesus Plus anything is, is bad. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right? Oh, man. Well, here's the thing. These Judaizers are coming in and they're saying, oh, that Jesus thing, that's good. But you need, you know, the law. You need circumcision. You need kosher diet. Um, you got to keep the Sabbath. And here's the thing. These folks started to eat that up. And Paul is like, what, what's the matter with you? Why would you? I came with a very simple message of grace. You ask Jesus, do you believe that he came and he died and rose again to, for, for the forgiveness of your sins? You, you come to him and you say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And he says, you're mine now. You're sealed. And that's it. It's grace. They're like, and... There's no and. Well, why would these folks eat this up so much? Because he's going to say, um, I, I marvel at the fact that you've been turned so quickly to another gospel, not even another, but a, diff- a different thing altogether. I, I, Paul can't believe that someone would trade something as wonderful as grace for grace and works. What's the deal with grace and works? Why do people want grace and works together? Why? Why, why would you want that? couple of ideas. One of them, I think, is because, well, these Judaizers were able to come in and say, yes, I, I, I have grace too. I'm like, I've gotten the grace of God as well, but I go to the Sabbath and I, I stay the whole time. I mean, I'm there from the first song all the way to the last coffee cup being thrown. I'm there the whole time. And uh, I keep a kosher diet. I don't ever have cheese or meat together ever. I, if I swallow a bug, I hack it up. Do you know what that's what that... Do you know that if they were walking down the street and they swallowed a gnat, they would hack it up on the side of the road, afraid that they had just ingested blood? And Jesus would say, you, you guys, you strain at a gnat. But you swallow a camel. That's what he would say. And strain at a gnat means they strain to get it up because they didn't want to. And so they could say, I keep all the law. So part of it was them to be able to say, well, yeah, we're both, we're, you know, we're both saved, but, but, I'm more righteous. I used to think that was the whole motivation, but it's not, right? Not everybody necessarily thinks that, but I think what's even more dangerous is there's a part of that that says, I need to be in control of something. 
I mean, I can't just let my salvation be completely out of my hands. There's got to be something that I can do also to contribute to my salvation. Otherwise, what good am I? Well, none, actually. But, but there's this idea of like, I, you know what? Uh, yes, I accept Jesus. Thank you so much. Now, now I have to do something too. It can't just be one-sided. I've got to do something too. You know, I can be a partner savior. <laughs> right? It was like, Jesus did his part. Now I, I have to do my part. And I, why do we do that? Why do people think that? Honestly, I think it's because we're, we're so like control freaks. I need to be in control. I need, look, Yes, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, but I'm still the king of my little kingdom right here, and um, I'm going to work also. Like, you know what? We're going to work together for my salvation. You know why that's so dangerous? Because that is the original lie that Satan told himself. I can ascend and be like God. I might even be able to be greater than God. It didn't work out, did it? God cast him out. But he came down to earth and he went to Eve and he said, you know what, Eve? The reason why God said not to eat that fruit is because if you do, you'll be like God. And Eve was like, hmm. And then she took the fruit and then she gave it to Adam, who was standing right next to her, apparently, and who knew that he wasn't supposed to eat the fruit, but maybe there was something about it that appealed to him as well. Hmm. And so he ate it. And Satan uses that trick over and over and over. And it's a lie. And that lie is going to draw you right away from the true gospel of grace that says, all you need is Jesus. You cannot add. Jesus went to the cross for you. And he not only went, he completed it. He was the only one that could do that. But he wasn't just the only one. He's the only necessary thing. There's nothing to add. To the churches in Galatia. <laughs> that's who he's writing to. So those churches that are on the map, that's who he's writing to, those churches in Galatia. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. And so he gets right to it. This is the greeting. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. It's so, those two words that Martin Luther would say constitutes all Christianity. Grace and peace. And I would add to Martin Luther because, well, you know, that order as well. Grace and peace. Paul always writes it that way. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. It's so important because until you grasp the idea of grace and what God has done for you, something that you couldn't do and can never do for yourself, until you grasp that, you're never going to really be able to extend that to anybody else. You can't extend grace to someone if you don't understand grace yourself in your own life. But when you embrace the fact that something was done for you that was so amazing that you could never do for yourself that affects your eternity... Are we saying 10,000 years? Way more than that. When you can embrace that, you can extend that to those around you in this life that we have here, extending grace to someone else. And then there's peace. Until you can extend grace, until you can understand grace, you're never going to have peace. And so Paul makes this point. Grace to you and peace. Not from Paul, though from God, the Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, who gave himself for our sins. That word gave himself, you know what that means? If you were to look that up in Greek, it means who put himself in your place. That's literal. Jesus Christ, who put himself in your place. Jesus died on a cross. So where was your place? On that cross. But he put himself in that place for you that he might deliver us from this evil present age. Deliver right there, this is a fun word. It doesn't mean so much to us anymore, the word deliver, because everything gets delivered to us now. You can order McDonald's french fries delivered to your house. That's it. Just, just McDonald's fries. You go online, you say, you know what, could you just order me some fries? And they are delivered to your house. And so the word delivered has just been watered down. It means like a convenience to us now. Deliver. So Jesus delivered me. That's convenient. That's not this word. This word means rescued. It means extricated, right? Um, it's like a SEAL team goes in and extricates someone that they're trying to save from a hostile situation. And so this verse says that Jesus Christ put himself in your place so that you might be rescued from a present evil age. Do you see also that says that Jesus gave himself? Wait a minute. John 3.16, I know that verse. That John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, oh, big contradiction. Bible's not true. Actually, what I see is uh, the son and the father in agreement as God. Isn't that what that says right there? Jesus gave himself, God sent his son, uh, they're in agreement as God, because aren't Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit all God? Three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's just agreement in the Bible. It's not contradiction. Sillies. (laughs) (laughs) That he might deliver us from this evil present age. You know, that's so interesting, the way that's worded. The way Paul worded that this evil present age, it's worded that way so that it is not just historical, but that it's still true. Still true. I have so many aspects of this evil present age that we could look at. We could look around in every age from then to now, and we could look out and say, oh, the environment that they were in was very evil. You know, well, you know, you've got everything from the, you know, Nero losing his mind and destroying Christians all the way through the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages and all the ages and world wars and everything up until now. And you could say all of their uh, situations could be evil, but what's the consistent evil all the way through from then to now? It's us. It's us. Me. Me. And you. Mostly me. Because here's the thing. He is trying to deliver me from this present evil age, meaning I'm looking and saying, this is all about me. My life is about me. Most of my life intersecting with yours is mostly about me. The decisions I make about me, in fact, I'm my own God. I make up my own truth. Whatever I believe is truth is true. It's evil. I am my own God. Is a lie from the pit. It is Satan's lie. You could be your own God. How is that manifested now? I can decide my own gender, which is so obviously God's thing, isn't it? 
It's so, gender isn't physiological only or biological only or, or mental only. It's all of that twisted up into this very complicated combination that only God can understand. But it's mine and I get to decide it because me, me, and me. And that's the present evil age that the God wants to rescue you from, extract you from a world of me so that it's a, his world and his. And Paul will later say that I am a slave of his, meaning that I no longer own myself. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. My life is his. It belongs to him. I do what he says to do. Verse 5 says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the opening of Paul's letter right there. He says in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. Oh, man. So Paul says, look, I just got home. I just got unpacked. Barnabas and I were going out to eat, and I get news that you've just left this whole grace thing that we just spent so much time talking about. I marvel at that. The word marvel is such a strong word. It means that it's, well, I wrote it down. I can't read it because I'm old. Uh, it means that it drives someone to an intense emotional response. So Paul's just like, well, I'm really surprised that you guys left the gospel. He's like, no, I can't even believe it. We spent so much time going through this. You embraced it. And yet you're so easily turned. You're so easily turned. I believe that part of that easily turn is because many of them wanted some control. I want to be in control. You know what? I need to be able to contribute to my own salvation. And so they're easily turned, and he marvels at that. I marvel that you turn away so soon from him who are calling you. In fact, where it says you are turning away, that means it means if it, leaving one for another. That's what that means. Literally, I can't believe that you are so soon leaving what I told you for something else. For another gospel, a different gospel. You know, it's so crazy because you know these Judaizers are coming in saying like, yeah, yeah, that, guy, that gospel of Paul, it's incomplete. We have the real gospel. It's, it's um, the, good, the good news um, and, and this stuff too. But that's not another good news. That's just more bad news. That's more bad news saying, yeah, this, but you've got to work at it still. You've, st- you've, still, you've still got to work at it. It's, yeah, it's the worst news. And in fact, it's subtle. It's subtle because they come in and be like, we believe in Jesus too. And look, look, you, all you have to do is these other things too, and it starts to draw people away. It actually is bad news that's disguised as good news. Isn't the devil crafty? He is so crafty. He will disguise bad news as good news. <laughs> He's resourceful, that's for sure. In fact, this, this TV show was brought to my attention. There's a show now, it's called Lucifer. Anybody? It's, there's a television show called Lucifer on TV right now. I, just by the name alone, I would never turn that on myself. That's not something I'm going to turn on my TV and let that into my house. But th- let me just, this is the description of the show based on the, sh- the, you know, the show's creator. This series follows Lucifer the original fallen angel who has been dissatisfied with his life in hell. It's, you know. It's... (laughs) 
Okay, listen. After abandoning his throne and retiring to Los Angeles, that's probably true. <laughs> Lucifer indulges in his favorite things, women, wine, and song, until a murder takes place outside of his upscale nightclub. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what Lucifer would do, was open a nightclub, probably. Now, for the first time in billions of years, the murderer awakens something unfamiliar in Lucifer's soul that is eerily similar to compassion and sympathy. All right, now my skin is starting to crawl. Lucifer is faced with another surprise when he meets an intriguing homicide detective named Chloe, who appears to possess an inherent goodness. Unlike the worst of humanity to which he is accustomed, suddenly Lucifer starts to wonder if there is hope for his soul. Why is this so dangerous? Here's the thing. What that does to most people is it starts to create empathy for the devil. It makes him seem like someone who's misunderstood. Misunderstood. Oh, that poor guy, poor Lucifer. They don't even call him Satan. Poor Lucifer. Look, he's misunderstood. Look, maybe there is hope for his soul. Let me be really clear. The only thing, the, the, the Satan, <laughs> the only thing the devil wants for you is to destroy you. Right. He wants to destroy you. He is a roaring lion looking for who he can destroy. He goes in before God the Father daily to accuse you. The Bible says that. But he's subtle and he's crafty and he does that. And he helps to create shows that make people think, ah, oh, you know, oh, you know what? I wouldn't mind going down to Hell's Nightclub if that's where I'm going to spend all eternity. That's what he wants you to think. It's all going to be like some kind of like weird party going on. You know, you see a movie with, with, with Hell and everyone's like, you know, dressed in black and red. <laughs> I don't know why red. Red's a really cool color. It's, just... it's not true. It's torment and darkness and, and extreme loneliness. And it says that where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. You know what that means? The worm is never quenched and the fire never dies. The fire is the physical torment of fire for all eternity. And the worm never dies means that every horrible thought, every horrible thing, every horrible act is relived over and over and over again, nonstop, forever. That's the party that they're talking about. That's the super fun nightclub. Oh, don't fall for it. Don't fall for that. That's what he wants, and that's what he's getting. People are on their way to hell because they've been fooled, or they haven't heard. Oh. Paul is fighting back against this because what happens is that if you preach a gospel that's something other than the gospel of grace, you are drawing people away from Jesus, away from the truth. And when that happens, you're drawing them away from heaven and right down the road to hell, that place that we just talked about. Oh, and Paul is so frustrated and upset about this. He actually, he goes on here in verse eight, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you that, than, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
He says it again, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He says, if anybody, even me, he says, even if an angel appears out of heaven and stands before you and says, you know what, the gospel that you were preaching, it is that kind of, but it's slightly different, and we've, it's, it's this and that. Paul says, don't believe that. Let that person be accursed. And I have to ask myself, honestly, I have to ask myself when I read that verse, like, like, did they, the, the Mormons not see that verse? Did the Mormons not see that verse when the angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith? Um, did they not say, yeah, but, um, um, but in the Bible it says that any, even if an angel, and that's what you're saying, even if an angel. If I was to stand up here and say, you know what, gang? The gospel of Jesus Christ is true, but you know what? We really should be doing this and this and this because without that, then you're not really saved. You should get up and you should walk out of here. But I'm not going to do that because I know the truth and I don't want to be cursed. For I do not persuade men, for do I now persuade men or seek to please men? For I still please. Ple- <laughs> what he's saying right here is like, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. I'm going to do whatever God says to do. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm going to stop there. Paul says just what we talked about. No one taught me, no man taught me the gospel. I learned it from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus told me the gospel. So when I tell you that it is Jesus only, you can trust that. You can trust that to be true. And he's saying that to them, but he's saying it to you. He's saying it to me. He's saying it to all of us here. He's saying it to everybody who's watching us online. You can trust Paul in what he says about the gospel of grace. Jesus only. Jesus only. I know this young man who is a believer, but he strongly holds to the fact that we need to keep the Sabbath. We have to keep the Sabbath, and you you have to do it the way they do it in the Old Testament. You can't work. You can't do anything that resembles work. You have to do it from Friday night to, to, to Saturday. You have to keep it. And so he and I were going back and forth and back and forth about the evidence of why he thinks we sh- why, why we should. And I kept on trying to show him where we, we are not required to keep the Sabbath. And um, it came down to, I said, do you feel like it makes you more righteous before God because you keep the Sabbath? And he said, yes. And I said, there's the problem. There's the problem because you feel like this thing that you're doing is making you more righteous than someone who doesn't do it. And you cannot be more righteous by anything that you do. Well, this is going to be exciting for a few weeks here. Galatians, the gospel. I only got halfway through the chapter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Oh, I thank you for the letter of Galatians, Lord. A reminder, because sometimes we do start to slip in and say, but I need to do this and I need to do that. I need to play a part in my own salvation. It can't just be as easy as Jesus. Thank you for this reminder, Lord. 
Lord, thank you for the reminder that we didn't even get to, but Paul would remind us that as a follower of Jesus, we are a bondservant, a slave of Jesus. He, we belong to him. We are his possession. There's no better place to be than there. Lord, I, I pray that if any of these words have been um, hard for some folks to hear this morning, I pray that you would speak into and soften up their hearts to be able to really hear and accept the truth here this morning. Lord, help them to understand that I'm not trying to win. I'm just sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would really press in on anyone who is struggling with this understanding of the gift of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would put it in them, the, the courage to come up and, and say to me or to, to, to one of the elders, or one of our, our prayer counselors, Lord, I don't really understand this gift of grace. Help me to understand. Well, if you're watching us online and, and that's you, you don't understand what, what, I don't get this grace thing that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Just get in touch with us. You can, you can call us, go to our website and, and go to contact us and you can find out. We'll, we'll, I promise we'll call you. We'll talk. To you. This is too important. Lord, thank you so much for this time in this place. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we still have to, to be able to preach the truth of the Bible, Lord. Oh, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.